Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turn It a Punk Classics, a show where we take old episodes of Turn It a Punk that have been lost from the internet and return them to their previous glory by sticking them back on the feed. You can find this podcast on YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and all other forms of social media. Well, that's pretty much it. At Turn It a Punk, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Damien. I play in a band. More information can be found at F-U-C-K-E-D-U-P.cc. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy another TOAP classic. This is, we get fucking crazy. In Backstage Passport 2, it seems like the alcohol is a bigger problem for you than, than coke. Like, just like, as far as like a bigger toll on you, I imagine physically when well, you're on tour. Well, no, I mean, I'm doing lines. I don't drink without, there's not coke around. Yeah. I just want to drink. That's why that one night I was so fucked up, because... They promised me there'd be coke after the show. And I'm drinking and drinking and drinking, and I wasn't there, and I need some equalizer. Yeah. I need something to keep me a little straight. And it's a wild. When you see me sing that stuff, the, the wrong words, it's fucking. Hilarious. It's amazing. Right. It's amazing because also I do that all the time, not because of alcohol or not because mm. I can't get drugs, just because I don't know the words for some of the songs. But. Did you see uh, the bonus footage where I pee myself? No, I only saw the one. Uh, the... the bonus footage. Well, there's two unreleased episodes on the bonus disc. And one. Yeah, but it's like, there's no real story, so uh, Fuse didn't want to put it together. Yeah. Because we were like, we don't want to make up a story. Yeah. To make it work. So Which we, is most of those reality shows are like. Well, yeah. we get we No one produced it. We gave them the footage. And, you know, they were story writers, but they said, this is what we're going to focus on. Yeah. And they're, you know, so it does make sense. You just put focus on sort of thing. Yeah, well, I think at that point... You're probably but, going through all these emotions. Yeah, Israel every should day. have been an hour episode. Russia should have been an hour episode. There's that much good footage. Yeah, but we had to cut it out. But Did you go Australia? I hurt my leg, and I'm on stage. And the bathroom is really far, and we're playing whoops I would eat. And yeah. I, I couldn't walk. You know, I'm so fucked up, and I just started peeing. <laughs> and uh, and I'm, whoops, I just peed. You know, <laughs> and it's just you see it running down my leg. Peeing yourself, it's really not that bad. The problem is when you wake up in the morning and you put your shoes on. Yeah. And they're full of the puddle. Yeah, they're all damp. You're like, oh, right, I pissed myself. See, I never think that's a problem with weed. The, the biggest problem I wake up with is a sore stomach because I ate mm. something I shouldn't have before I mm. fell asleep. But um, I, I guess, like, Mike, I don't know if you've heard any of these before, but I start them all up the exact same way, mm. which is it's all focused on how you got into punk rock, mm -hmm. which is I kind of know. Because I, I, I'm a big fan. <laughs> like, my story is, I think, different than most. No, but I know your story a little bit. But I definitely, uh, if you don't mind telling it again. Yeah. But uh, So I'm going to start it off the way I always start off, which is, how'd you get into punk? Okay, well, there's, there's two different things. It's the first time you heard punk. Mm -hmm. It's the first time you go to your first punk show. Well, I mean, I mean the first time you heard it. Like, I think the camp. Yeah, the first time I heard yeah. it, uh, I was at summer camp. And I was probably 11. Yeah. And uh, at one of the dances... Uh, I heard two songs. One was Beat on the Brat with a baseball bat, and one was Who Killed Bambi. Okay. And it was uh, Joe. Joe Escalani from the Vandals was a, was a junior counselor there. Was he a nice counselor? Because, like... He wasn't my counselor. Okay. Did you have any... He was, he was like, work crew. Okay. He was, like, he, he got to go to camp for free. Yeah. But he had to work. Okay. And uh, I talked to him very little, but I was like, who is this? You know, and... Well, you're no, no, no. He didn't even tell me what it was. He, I just knew he played it. Yeah. What year approximately would have been, do you think? Uh, uh, 79. Okay, so it's like, was he full into punk by this point, I guess? Like, yeah. Yeah. Was he, no, when did he join Vandals? Uh -huh. 
1982? No, no. Earlier than that. Okay. Anyway, go on. Uh, his, his story about how he got his drum set back from Jack from GSOL. That's incredible. <laughs> incredible. Well, have you read Jack's book, American Demon? I've read Jack's book, yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. It's like, he's one of those people that you read that and you're like, I guess good things happen to bad people. He was absolutely he's a like psychopath. a nightmare. Yeah, and, and the, the stories I've heard that none of that book are even scarier. Well, like, yeah, Lumpy was in, he's dead now. He was in the Vandals. Yeah. He was in Joy Killer. Mm-hmm. And Jack would make him clean his room every at the hotel, motels every night in the morning. <laughs> clean your room. There's maids. Clean your fucking room. <laughs> Just on yeah. some And then one day he said something, Lumpy said something that Jack didn't like. He, Jack was driving and he stopped the car and he went back and he started pushing his thumbs and his eyeballs until he was screaming, crying. Like he was fucking poking his eyeballs in. Shit. And so when you read the book, I can't confirm all the stories. Yeah. But the stories I can't confirm from my friends are even worse. Yeah. Like in the punk rock movie, Punk's Not Dead, he's like, yeah, we just used to rape girls a lot. Jesus Christ, dude. Yeah. It's horrific. You're a fucking, you're a psychopath. Well, he, he thought he killed someone, right? That's he had to hide in Alaska for a while. Like he talks about in the right, movie, right. right? And stuff. And so, anyway. anyway, so I heard these songs. Yeah. At summer camp, I was eleven, mm-hmm. and I went back and I went to a record store, Rana Records, and I said uh, to the guy, "Have you ever heard a song called Beat on the Brat with a Baseball Bat?'" And he laughed and said, "That's Ramones, kid." And uh, gave me a Ramones cassette. And then uh, it's funny because I. I loved it, but only like three songs. Yeah. So, and, and then uh, and I also saw a poster. Only three songs on that record? You only like three well, songs? Yeah, like three. Yeah. No, I mean, I like a lot more. Yeah, now. now. But it's like a lot of my, I didn't, they, they're not as catchy. Yeah. Like, now I want to stiff some glue and shit like that. Or. Carbona not glue on the first one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, it's, it's a rough listen. Yeah. Kind of. Well, especially when you're 11 years old. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And the only record I had before that was Rocky Horror Picture Show. And that, I, I it was on cable. Because mm-hmm. in, uh, in L.A., you could get Z Channel. And I taped it from my TV at 10 at night. I had a little <laughs> rectangular uh, cassette player. Yeah. And I just taped it. And that I listened to that record for years. Well, I, and you could tell, like, you know, obviously doing musicals now. And, like, and, it, I, and definitely influenced from that. And, and the words from Rocky Horror... Uh, don't dream it, be it. Yeah. Those words stuck with me. Well, they still stick with me. Yeah. But even when I was like in my early forties, I still felt like a coward because I was not living how I want to live. Mm-hmm. And because I'm a coward. It's like I did SM and I do, you know, cross dress a little bit, you know, with my wife, my ex-wife. And, uh, but it's like, I wanted to like be part of the SM scene. Mm-hmm. I wanted to fucking live it. I wanted to uh, do whatever the fuck I wanted to. And I was scared to. Mm-hmm. So those words don't dream be it. And now I'm in a point in my life where I do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, you're like the guy who's living it. Like <laughs> I just flying exactly into Canada want. yesterday. I had a pink nighty on. <laughs> and uh and I had like a, a choke uh, some pink restraints with a chain that went to my and my collar and I just went through the airport and on the plane and uh, I don't what, fucking care what was customs like though <laughs> they didn't care they didn't care no That's yeah, I, was I, own it. I still got my combat boots on yeah, and, yeah. and I don't walk I don't have makeup on and shit no but I'm like but still when you cross customs 
anything to not stick out is what I'm normally trying to do. What was funny is going to Heathrow, I wore a dress from Sweden. Yeah. And that was like a 90-minute custom thing. It really? Yeah. Uh, that, that, was, that just got kind of a drag. <laughs> I, mean, I saw in the, uh, in the backstage passport you get stopped for the, the beef jerky and things like that. Have you ever had anything where, like, I've heard about people going to Dubai with, like, an, a little speck of, yeah, like, weed on their feet and getting busted? No, I've been, I've been fucked. No, I haven't, I haven't been, well, one time I went to an airport, uh, and Goddess, I was meeting her, because we were going to get out of the Caribbean, and she told me to, uh, put a, a rubber butt plug in me, and, uh, and I had a cock ring on. Yeah. So I'm going through customs and I beep and they take me into the room <laughs> and, uh, and the butt plug didn't show up. Right. <laughs> yeah. But what do you have metal? It's cock ring. Yeah. So they got, they have gloves on and I took it off and they're holding this thing, like cock, leather cock ring with metal on it. And they get, and they go, well, that's it. Uh, I guess, you know, you can go out now. And then I go out and the guy who did it was holding it. He goes, Hey, I'm a huge fan. Can I get an autograph? <laughs> Awesome. So, um, where do you go from that Ramones tape? Like, you, you, you like three songs on it, but you knew there was something about this scene. Well, I, just, I just thought it was great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got into Devo mm-hmm. and the Go-Go's and Plimsolls, and, mm-hmm. uh, but I never saw any of these bands. Were you listening to K-Rock? Was that kind of like your station? No, not yet. Yeah. Not yet? Okay. I, I, was, I was young. I was, so, where were you hearing about? Well, like, I, was, I, was, I didn't hear about any of these bands. You were just like going to the store and just being like, I know, I only had... Like oh, no, two like, records. But why then would you go like from there to like, oh, Devo Well, this Pinsels. is how I started going. This is what okay. happened after that. Because I, I was like, I didn't have a record player yet. Mm-hmm. I just had a, ta- a little cassette player. Yeah. That was it. Uh, so before I started high school, it was summer before high school, I was 14, my friend Eddie Mocktinger, his dad was president of ACLU for a long time. No. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he goes, let's go see a movie tonight. So, because, you know, in L.A., we were taking the bus when we were eight. Yeah. In 10, you go anywhere. So 14, uh, to go to Westwood to see a movie. He's like, you know what? This is Van Killing Joke playing at the Whiskey. Let's go there instead. I'm like, all right. You know, I have my polo shirt on. And I never heard it. I never been to a live show. Yeah. And the only punk rock I ever heard is Ramones. And we go in. There's no age limit there. And fucking Killing Joke go on. What and venue was it? The Whiskey. Whiskey, I don't know. And uh, I was like upstairs in the corner. And he got in the pit, and I was like, holy shit. I, it just blew my mind. <laughs> this huge pit, and people beating the shit out of each other, and this music that I'd never heard before, because no one sounded like Killing Joke. Yeah. I was like, this is, well, that's, that's a deep end from the Ramones. That's kind of a deep end. Yeah. And uh, it was the most exciting, coolest thing I ever saw. And like two weeks later, we just we went back, and we saw uh, X and the Canadian Subhumans. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, because this is actually one of the few debates that well, there's a couple debates that we keep having over the years, mm. and one is British subhumans versus the Canadian subhumans. Well, I mean, clearly the British one are better. Canadian, they're better. You know, Canadian is better. They're not better. Uh, they're better. No, yeah, like two good songs. Well, like, you know, in a, a classical LP. like a <laughs> classical LP, but Cradle of the Grave. Uh, <laughs> I, I do actually, and I've come around a lot. The British subhumans are pretty fucking unbelievable, and still one of the best live bands. Like and and stay the same, true to their yeah, and stay the, and and never and like they are incredible today. Okay, they didn't blow up the place. <laughs> That's true. Uh, <laughs> but you're Canadian, so you got to go Canadian. I have to. I'm go American, Canadian. so I can go with 
which I'm not a non-biased. No, you're that you're picking. You're like actually the only non-biased. If anything, you should reject England more because you're American. <laughs> so when do you start playing music? Like, were you already like? Well, I guess like no, you and Eric. Then it should start, be a, a, you know. Then no. it was like that. Like 1981. Yeah, was it was super confused. Not confusing, but me and my friends would go to see Oingo Boingo, Fear, Bad Religion, Missing Persons, uh, <laughs> like I'll get the Go Go's. Slim Souls. Yeah. Uh, uh, that guy, 8675309. Yeah, what his name is. Jenny But uh, it, there was no difference. Tommy Two Tone. Yeah, there was no difference. Mm-hmm. We, we, we didn't really know the difference. Mm-hmm. It was like, it was all new wave or punk rockers, and they were all playing the same clubs, Roxy and Whiskey. And it was. Were you going to any like Hong Kong Cafe or any of the smaller clubs at this point? I went to Hong Kong. Yeah. Uh, Madame Wong's. Yeah, Madame Wong's, yeah. Uh, yeah. Any place. I couldn't get. I didn't go to the Starwood or anything. Like, yeah, that's for my age, <clears throat> for my time. But uh, it was just cool, and it was. Luckily, my mom was a. Uh, my parents were never around, mm-hmm. so I would just go to all hours of the night to anywhere I wanted to. And I can't believe I never got beat up or raped or anything. Because well, you, you you talked about it. Well, that's fucking fourteen, fifteen. Well, yeah, because you talk about. In uh, my stepdaughter's just turned sixteen. Yeah, that's the thing. Fucking man, let her go out till two in the morning. <laughs> Going to see Target of Demand on, <laughs> on some show. Oh, we went to yeah, we went to see New Wave Theater a few times. That was cool. Was it a cool experience? Yeah, because you just bring in your own beer and yeah. watch all these bands play two songs. That's awesome. So, who were like some of the bands that were resonating with you as a kid? Like some of the local bands, I guess, like Angry Simones were like no, the Dickies were Dickies, the yeah. best band. They were my favorite band okay. at the time and Bad Religion. Mm-hmm. But at my school, E Three Eight went there. And it's in 34. But Youth Brigade, they're from Toronto, right? Like, they no, moved? No. Well, yeah. maybe originally. Originally, they're from Forest but, but Hill. When they all turned they, punk rock, they, they were, moved to LA. Okay, yeah, so. And uh, the seditionaries, like, my school had, had 13 punk rockers in it out of 3,000 yeah. kids. <laughs> but a lot of them were in bands. And they're all awesome bands. And they were all older than me. So, it was like me and three other kids were like the, the freshman punk rockers. So, when was the first time you saw Bad Religion? Do you remember the first time you saw them? Uh, or were they just, like, playing all the time? Florentine Gardens. Yeah. There's footage of it in some movie where all the kids, like 60 kids on stage, zipped off. Oh, is that like a comeback show after Into no. the Un- No. no. Okay. That was... That's way later. Yeah. That was, okay. yeah, like, yeah, that was before it began. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, so, you know, you mentioned going to see the Dickies. When did you start, I imagine, seeing the Oxnard? Or were you going up to Oxnard to go to the... Mr. Yeah, when Fans? I turned 16. Okay. But I would just go to Rhino Records. I would go there once a week take the bus there and go through the used record section. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found all the bands. Like Misfits, Walk Among Us. I never heard, I never, just like, oh, this looks good. Flesh Eaters. Oh, this is not good. Uh, <laughs> Wait, you don't think Flesh Eaters are good? No, they're not. Well, no? You like, no, well, you have no taste in music. I have a lot. Oh, uh, this is going to be amazing. This is going to so, be awesome. But just whatever look punk, yeah. I would get. And, uh, but you had sonic parameters where you were like this, by that, because you're, you're talking about earlier, like you're seeing Killing Joke, you're seeing... Clim Souls, you're seeing X. X, and you're and you're and you're like, this is all punk to me. But there were still bands that were like, Flesh Eaters, not. Well, I just band. didn't like the record. Oh, you just didn't like it. But yeah. it was still like you were considering part of that world. Yeah, and I was so hungry for it. Just, mm-hmm. That was before I knew about Max Rock and Roll, mm-hmm. and there's no way to find. How am I supposed to fucking find out about good music? Yeah, that's true. Like, well, were, were you checking out? Is there K Rock? You know, you hear about yeah, Ronnie on well, the block and yeah. stuff. I would listen. I started listening to K Rock every Sunday. Yeah, and that's when I discovered Sentence and Di. What about music magazines? Some people I talked to say Cream and stuff like that. Were you ever into that stuff or not at all? No, no. I had a 
like three friends were into punk. Yeah. We'd go to the record stores and we'd each buy, like, I remember one time I bought, yeah, I guess, front seven inch. Really? Yeah. And, and my friend got the white, uh, the white, uh, white, white from Richmond. Oh, white cross. White cross. Yeah. We'd each, we'd each buy one. Yeah. And we'd collectors collectors and then just, we'd all tape them from each other. Yeah. But we never would buy the same record. You know. Wow, I think in retrospect, you made out pretty good if you saw that AF7. It's just like a thousand dollar record now. That's it. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I bought Misfits. I, saw, I bought Bullet for two ninety nine. <laughs> Did you keep all your stuff? Did you keep collect records? Yeah, record? I sold a couple. I sold Antidote and I sold a couple of Misfits seven inches. When did you sell the Antidote? Like recently or no? Long I was in college. Okay, hundred bucks. Like, Fuck yeah! Yeah. Even though that's maybe the best punk seven inch ever. It's really New York Antidote. That's your favorite one. Your favorite punk seven yeah. inches. That's so awesome. Are you talking? Yeah, you got a beer or something. Anything? I'll uh, get you a beer and bring the liquor up here. There's uh, a bunch of girls here. Oh, get you a glass of water first, and I'll leave the beer over. Anything, or anything buddy. Uh, what's the time check like? I got a bunch of hot girls standing outside. We normally go like one hour. Do they? Do they? They can. We don't care. They want to hear us talk about punk rock and stuff. That's fine. Yeah. So I guess we were at a point. When do you start? Playing like no effects forms before Smelly joins, right? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I started a couple of bands at a band called False Alarm. Okay. And uh, no one recorded, right? None of these. No, there, it was a demo. Maximum I'll give us a show review. That really that demo is that is that circulated at all? I don't think so. I'm there, oh yeah. no, someone put it out. I don't know. It's terrible. Okay. It was, it was our first recording. We played one show, <laughs> one party. <laughs> Who else played? Do you remember? No, it's just us. Okay. There's like 40 people there, and we got a show at the Anti Club with Blitzkrieg. And uh, Youth Got Wild, and, and one of and our drummer's mom wouldn't let him go, so. <laughs> you couldn't play? Yeah. Oh. I mean, we, you know, we, we couldn't even drive. Yeah. We were 15. Yeah. It's hard when you're that age and you, like, you want to be involved, but you, you just don't have the means yet. Yeah. Because you're just coming up. And so, I, I met, uh, I met Smelly. Uh, I had a black flag skateboard and he was impressed. And that was, we met outside of a show. We started talking, became friends. But he lived, like, an hour from me. And, uh, and uh, I, I got a band with a guy named Dylan, and he said, he started a band with Eric Melvin, and, and he said, I know a bass player, this guy, he falls alarm. And that was how it all came together. Yeah, and then we only played like two parties, and then we got some new band. And that was, that was uh, like 83. Yeah, so, and then it's like two years later, you do the first seven inch on Mystic? Yeah. Right, like, so what happened in those two years? Just playing local shows? Local no, we did. We demoed at Spinhead Studios. You know, that's the little yeah. child. Yeah. Seven, we, yeah, that's, we, that's from there. Yeah, the guy from Sin 34. We demoed all that. And actually, uh, uh, the drummer for the Germs. Don Bowles. Yeah, he produced it. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, he came, he came by. He said, if you guys give me gas money. I'll produce your record? Yeah. Were you like a fan of Vox Pop and like no, uh, no, Silver Chalice no, or any of those bands? No, just the Germs. Just the Germs. And somebody was in Costa Cause, which they did, they did some things, too. Oh, did Costa... Yeah. Are they in a comp, Costa Cause? Yeah, lots of comps. Did so we, uh, we started and, you know, we're terrible. I, I, I really do feel that we're the most improved band. Of all time? Yeah. I, mean, I love those first records. Well, that's because you have no taste in music. Well... You, you, I mean, you, you <laughs> like everything. No, I don't. I don't. There's a lot of stuff I don't like. <laughs> that's a little my child. That's terrible. I think, Sorry, but I think, I think, I know, but I think that's the thing about it. The energy comes off. And that first thing that came out was on one of those CD comps in the it, 90s. that was like $30 when I bought it at HMV. And I'm like, what the fuck is this no effects song? Well, the thing is, is, uh, 
I really think we were of all the bands around in that time, we were the worst one. Well, I was going to ask you, were did none of us knew how to play? I mean, I was was just like, uh, oh, we need to start this band. I'll buy a bass, and no one, no one taught me how to play. And so you're completely self-taught. You never had any lessons at all. Nothing. That's awesome. That's why I, I play with upstrokes. Yeah, because no one ever showed me how to play. And luckily, I did because I wouldn't have written that bass line for like decline. Yeah, because. You have to be an upstroke player, and I imagine now there's an entire generation of upstroke players based on watching so. Ten Years of Fucking Up. Just Joe from Rise Against. <laughs> well, I think that's a perfect <laughs> example right there. Um, so uh, I wanted to ask you, like, did you guys fall into that nardcore scene? Were you playing with those nardcore bands? Well, we became a nardcore band in '86 because Eric and Eric moved there. Okay, I was in San Francisco, but not before then. Not before then. Uh, but we were big Illar Pew fans. We used to cover. We used to cover an Illar Pew song. We used to cover uh, Impact Unit song. Boston Impact yeah, Unit? Yeah, yeah. Sticky Barrett from the yeah, Boston Strangler. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Boston Strangler song. That's fucking awesome. Uh, we used to cover. So you were like really well versed in all. Like you were just like. Because like you talked to a lot of people. And no, we were. Free internet. We're hardcore. Yeah, but, like, but you're we, hardcore. We covered a Neo, a Neo song. Like no one fucking covers it. Well, Neo I want to get into the Neo's cover because yeah. that is recorded too. Yeah, no. Uncredited, I might add. Yeah. Thank you very much. And uh, we, we would cover. You know, FUs, yeah, uh, just like hardcore bands. That's because awesome. we're a hardcore band. We're still a hardcore band. Yeah, we're we're a hard, a melodic hardcore band. Mm-hmm. That's just how it is. People call us pop punk. Fuck you. We're not. There's mm-hmm. nothing to do with that. Not lyrically. I mean, most of our songs, like punk rock elite and stuff, those are that's our fucking hardcore songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, somehow New York started playing metal, and that got deemed hardcore, but it's not. It's metal. But there was like I was gonna say because you are. I remember Black Flag, maybe of the first hardcore band. Or, you, I've also read you talk about the Melvins not being a, a punk band because they're too metal. Yeah, they're, they're like Black Sabbath. But to me, like, like, and last time I saw Buzz, you know, a couple years ago, I was like, "Hey, Mike, you still playing punk rock? <laughs> really, Buzz? Sorry, if we're successful and you're not." Well, no, but that no. Well, hey, this is like to me, it's amazing because I, I feel blessed that I'm able to like both of your bands. But well, uh, I like the moments, okay? Yeah, no, but well, because I thought you hated them. No, I hate them. Oh, okay. we it's played. Not. With, we, we played with them when they were banned for four months. Yeah, you know, Chris Novoselic was their roadie. Yeah, but uh, no, it's just and they were super fast then too. They had some, no, fast, they had some faster songs, a little bit. But he's just so bitter that they were the band that really invented that sound, and then Nirvana did it a hundred times better. No, I bet. Oh, whoa! This is this. We just go down the debate, but I don't want to start putting my opinion in because there's so many mm-hmm. questions I want to ask you. But well, Nirvana changed everything. Nirvana did change everything. And, I and be, like oh. before that, the only hope we had—I mean, we never hoped making money. Yeah, no hope, impossible. If you're a punk band in the '80s, there was no band you could look up to mm-hmm. that was making a living. Nobody, you know. Uh, Bad religion? No, no, they weren't. No, no way. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't do it till like '89. '88 uh, is when Suffer came out, and they sold ten thousand copies. I, I guess, yeah. Who's going to do the replacements? I guess would be the closest, right? Like maybe, maybe, but yeah, they were by that time they were playing fucking total pop. Mm-hmm. It wasn't punk. Well, I, Candy Apple no. Grey is one of my favorite records. So. Yeah, but it's just like it's, it's pop. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely. Is, we're I know we're all saying. playing hardcore. It's definitely even bad religion. Different. It's hardcore. <clears throat> so, at which point did it, so? I, I, we're and Nirvana, you know, Faith No More is the first band where I heard a song. And I'm like, oh, this is like, this is alternative. This is, I've never heard anything like this. And I'd seen Faith No More mm-hmm. at, at the New Method Warehouse in front of 20 people. 
So they were they were like they came out of the punk. Oh, scene. absolutely. And and, <clears throat> and Chuck was in that band, the original singer. Yeah. Right? And, and when I heard real thing, like yeah, finally something is good on the radio. So is that? <clears throat> so did everything mm-hmm. change for you when Nirvana happened too? You guys? Yeah, we were on tour. We were doing the longest line tour, mm-hmm. and uh, everyone was listening to that record. And from then on, that's when we kind of got good. It was longest line. That's when I, I think our first I think that's, good I think, record. I think I like I love every everything but I think that's where uh, that's where yeah there's a change you like the sonic is where no effects is kind of it's when I, I yeah. sing okay yeah because really like and SMR lines would be really good if I sang a little bit on key but I'm so off <laughs> but, but ribbed I mean ribbed is an, a very an original sounding record yeah we, and actually it's, it's, that's when we defined our sound Nathan from Waves and I were going to do a whole cover record of just ribbed yeah we just did a live version really yeah we recorded I've, for an album I've never seen you do that I've seen you do Punk and Drublick live I've seen no, you we did do all that. Define live I've never seen you and, do that and you know tomorrow uh, Longest Line are you doing Longest Line tomorrow first time I never knew that I never played it before that is fucking awesome oh I'm so stoked I'll show you something that will blow your mind alright I'm gonna I'm gonna release you but I haven't really figured out how to put it out there yet uh, yeah I just I just got a Tumblr account I gotta figure it out put, put, let me show you this dude okay Pause it. Pause it. Uh, Especially now, people just want to see that kind of stuff, you know. Like, um, so when do you meet Doug Moody, and what was he like? Because he's such a weird character. In well, punk. the Cafe de Grand, you know, we, we were there. Yeah, twice a week. Yeah, Tuesday night, dollar night, five punk pants for a dollar. You had to go. So we are always there. Uh, exploited one, these other ones for a dollar. Wow, shit like that. Uh, I remember once I was at the cafe. I think we were watching Unity or some bit punk, and not a lot of people there. And I'm with my girlfriend Tisha at the time, and she looks over to her right, and Ian McKay was standing there, and she went, ah! and started screaming. <laughs> and he was like, uh, "Please stop." Well, they were a huge band on the West Coast. They had footage of them on the Flipside video. They're playing to like a thousand people. I was at that show. That is a crazy show. Those are the the, ba- the few bands I got to see. I got to see the Mistress three times, mm-hmm. SSD twice, and they only played the West Coast twice. Mm-hmm. And Mind Threat. Wow. See Mind Threat. That's yeah. awesome. So were there any bands that you were on the East Coast that you would obviously like Impact Unit maybe or FUs? Or, FUs, they, FUs stayed at my house. They made, yeah, they made it up there, right? Yeah. They stayed at my house. And Reagan Youth stayed at my house, and I, I mastered their, their first album with them. You did? Yeah. Are you credited on that record as a master? No, I didn't. I didn't master it. Oh, I took them to Capitol. Oh, okay, okay. Oh, and uh, they didn't have a ride, and they mastered it in mono. Okay, yeah, not the New Red Archives one. The the, uh, the, original, the one the original song, pressing. Yeah, which, I don't know if you know the difference, but it's like one, a giant fold out poster sleeve. It's amazing yeah, sounding yeah. because it, it's just amazing sounding. So, did you you know at this time? Did you ever come across America's Hardcore? That's always been oh, I saw them. They, amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah. The guy in he killed from, himself, and, and one of the dudes from Crucifix was in it or something. So no, it's Drew Bernstein was in America's Hardcore. He was voted biggest asshole of the year in Flipside two is years it, in a row. That was that. Is that uh, is that from the? Did you guys reference that? Yeah, voted biggest asshole. Yeah. and then he uh, started. He joined Crucifix. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's my first uh, punk rock show blowjob. <laughs> we were watching Crucifix, and I was getting a blowjob under this table. Wow, dehumanization. Uh, yeah. All right, <laughs> and then. Uh, Drew Bernstein started lip service. Was it screen printing? Did you also screen print? He started, but then he started lip service. Fucking lip service. Yeah. And because you know, and he sh- killed himself last year. He did last. Holy shit! I'm, I, I had no idea he killed himself. That he because he also Sean who runs Rockers NYC. 
he would he took him in as a kid, and I think he went to roadie for you guys for a while. Black dude, yeah, 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 yeah. We were we were we were besties, and we we drove up to San Francisco together, yeah, to see Eastern Front, and we stayed at at Drew's house, and uh, I didn't know him that well, but yeah, America's Hardcore, amazing, incredible band. I wish I could find the demo. I put it on five records. Apparently, someone told me this has been a legend for years. There's actually test presses of an LP that Mystic did that just never got ah, circulated. So, so good. Did so? Were you like? Was he and like, the singer Danny? Uh, he got in a fight with some guy. And it was, it was so, it was terrible to watch. He, he already beat the guy up and he took a metal chair and just beat him and beat him Holy and beat him. And so, I mean, he was just like an unconscious mess. And, you know, that was LA. Yeah. That was just standard. Just, you try to stay away from it. Have you, have you seen the, I want to get back to that in one second. Have you seen that movie Made? The Vince Vaughn, John Cabra yeah. movie? In the first scene, John, um, Vince Vaughn's wearing an America's Hardcore shirt. Because oh. one of the guys from America's Hardcore is a set dresser oh, in Hollywood now wow. and, and gave him the shirt and when you watch the audio commentary track Vince Vaughn talks about the shirt oh. on the audio commentary anyway digression you, you bring up the violence that was going on at that and I remember when you did that Cokie the Clown performance you talked some insane horrific stories about yeah. stuff you saw back then yeah I've, I've written songs on the yeah, songs about, and referencing now. and the violence it's it's hard to imagine in punk rock now because it wasn't like that anywhere in any, any other scene it was just LA yeah and you never knew when you were going to get killed. And I sang in one band. I mean, I was in one band for a while. And our singer got shot five times, five shots. He lived. Lived. Yeah. At a show? Who shot No, no. Outside of yeah, he was a suicidal. And wow. This black dude. Fucking huge black dude. Really nice guy. Took five bullets. Lived. Wow. Uh, and how I got out of stuff, That's that's why I really do believe that there is some kind of charm on my life or someone's looking out for me because, you know, I have so many, so many dead friends and uh, I always got out of things. Mm-hmm. I remember you talked, you, in an interview I read, you talked about your friend being stabbed at a Dickies show. Yeah. It seems like that would be the last band on earth you think would have that. Was it almost right. everything? And, and, and Pat Smear and uh, another guy from Vagina Natata at the time, they almost got beat up by suicidals. What? I was, and Lu, uh, Luigi, who was in Suicidal, mm-hmm. the bass player, he was the only guy I kind of knew. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were going after that. I saw I'm, this group, they were walking towards him because they were in the, in the parking lot. And I was like, hey, Luigi, what's up? He's like, these fucking guys over here. And I was like, just passed me from the drums. And he's like, oh. So, wow. So it was just like people that weren't recognized, I think, not local. Yeah, always, always said is, uh, where are you guys from? Mm-hmm. And he said, from Hollywood. And and my friend, I knew a lot of suicidals. I was asked to join. My friend Bruno told the guy, he said, hey, you guys, this guy's with me. He's, he's good. You know, Eric and I do their shirts. Don't fuck with these guys. Mm-hmm. And they stabbed my friend in the lung. So so that's when you decide to move up to, to San Francisco, I guess, at that point? Yeah, I was really like, I, I really, I don't want to quit punk rock. Yeah. But this is getting ridiculous. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Had you been out of L.A. and seen that there were other scenes that were different? Yeah, uh, 
was 16, I went to Italy. Oh, oh wow. Did you see shows in Italy? Yeah. Did you see, like, Raw Power and Negazioni? No, I saw I Refuse It. What? Uh, Juggernaut and The Penguins uh, at a basement show in, in oh, Forensic. That's amazing. Yeah, because my dad, he did business there. Yeah. And being, you know, he's a shitty dad. He goes, I want to take you to Europe with me. I'm like, oh, oh cool. Yeah, I, no effects were together for, like, four months. Yeah. But this is his trip. He took me to Florence for a week. He worked every day. And you had to have fun. Yeah, wander around this yeah. strange city. But I ran into an old girlfriend, which is crazy. And and I, I had my Max Rock and Roll. This is awesome. I had my brought my copy of Max Rock and Roll. <laughs> and I looked through it, and someone lived in Firenze. In so, the classified section or just no, in just like the scene report? The scene report. <laughs> and I found it. I went to his door, and I knocked on his door at like 3 in the afternoon. I was like, who are you? I'm like, I'm Mike. I'm a punk rocker from America. <laughs> so you're doing this. And he goes, come on in. And, you know, I taped records. He played me a bunch of cool Italian bands. And he goes, you got to come see my band tomorrow night. It's, we're playing a basement. What band was he in? He was in I Refuse It. He's just from I Refuse It? That band, that single Stefano Bettini. That's awesome. Yeah, so, I mean, that was how cool punk rock was back then. See, and, and I always thought, you know, you guys had an adversarial relationship with Max Rock and Roll because of I'm Telling Tim. But, like... But you, you do got realize, along with Tim really well. Yeah, but you do realize that Fat Records is the only label that never got banned, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why I knew that. Yeah. And Tim, before he died, he told Martin, he goes, don't ever ban Fat Records unless they do something. Do something to a major or something. <laughs> yeah. But I'm so proud of that. I really yeah. am. Well, that's... A, and, and, and that magazine, did that going places... You know, you mentioned how Nirvana changed everything. <clears throat> you know, that magazine must have helped being in that magazine, getting around there. Yeah, I mean, I guess you guys for this, but I used to book all our tours. Yeah. I'd go down to the Mission District and buy a stolen credit, uh, con card number, <laughs> and I'd spend like four or five hours in a telephone booth. Just book tours. Um, one band I forgot to ask you about really quickly uh, oh, back in LA. There's one more thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> you said, had I ever been anywhere? Yeah. I took two road trips to San Francisco. Okay, so you went up there and you saw the scene there. Yeah, and it was, it was just awesome. Yeah. When I moved up there, that's when there were all the skinheads were there, mm-hmm. and that that was it wasn't as scary as L.A. Still, yeah, it's not the gangs in L.A. Yeah, and uh, that's when I stayed at squats and. Uh, uh, uh. Would you live at the bats or anything? Or? No, no, I just I stayed at Okay, uh, I went out with some uh, some girl up there, and actually one of the girls went, went to my summer camp. Was oh, yeah. was in the punk scene. Oh, that's awesome! She got beat up so bad. By uh, this gang called DMR, this girl gang. Okay. That she quit the punk scene. Wow, that's, well, that's horrible. That part of the story, I guess. But um, I, I never seen such, such violence? bad violence against women. Was that in women San Francisco? Women. That was in San Francisco. Yeah. Right? Um, well, you hear that the, the DC scene too. There's that woman that ran the main <clears throat> skinhead gang in DC. That everyone's terrified. That everyone talks about like like a just a brutality. And I guess it just anytime someone's vicious. Well, DC. I mean, Brian Baker's told me so many times. He's like. Dude, we'd go to New York just to beat up people. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't... We, we all PC, but we all wanted to fucking fight. Yeah. Well, they were jockey dudes. It was like a more jockey, tough, like American-y type scene. I don't know. Yeah. Not to disparage your country or anything, but... Um, what about Scared Straight? Did you ever see those guys? Yeah, we toured with them. You toured with Scared Straight? Yeah. Wow. And you know, like, the connection between... Because you all also <coughs> were a subculture a couple years later. Yeah. And you know... In, in, in 85... We toured with Scared Straight and uh, Entropy and the Grim. Wow. That, so is that your first tour with Scared Straight? No. Uh, no, our second. No, third. But what was interesting about that tour, and I bet, I don't know if this has ever happened before, 
Okay. Okay. I, I go to college. Mm-hmm. We'd done our big first U.S. tour. Yeah. And then we were going to go on tour on Christmas break. But we didn't have a drummer then. And Eric Melvin made some friends his high school. Mm-hmm. So he got a singer and a drummer for no effects. And, and we booked a tour. <coughs> so we have two new members. I've never met them. Even before the tour starts, you never met them? We went on tour without rehearsing. And I've never met these two guys. I don't think that's ever happened. No, I don't think that's ever, ever happened. Ever as a band. Maybe in like a boy band or like a major label rock band. I can see that. But, but like, no, they, no. they would have rehearsed. That's right. They probably would have had to rehearse. We didn't rehearse. <laughs> we just show up at the first show and uh, I'm like, nice to meet you, Dave. <laughs> Scott. How'd you work on a set list? Did you, was, he, was it just through well, like telephone? Well, Melvin and those guys. Yeah, at practice. At practice. So they learned the songs. And then we play our first show and we're playing with the Grimm and you're being scared straight. And, uh, you know, when you're in a band, you think you're good. Yeah. And we're like, man, we're good. But even then, we're like, man, all these other bands are better than us. And we never practiced before. And and our singer was so nervous, he just stand there, like, didn't even move. He never sang for band. Yeah. Right? It's, it was his first show ever. It was his first show, too? Ever? Ever. He never sang for band before. <laughs> why did Eric Mel- why did Melvin think he was, he was He was a Coke dealer. And, uh, oh, and no friend. Anyway, it was just, it was so weird. People like, <laughs> People who we knew, like, who are these guys? Because you'd already been through some of these places, too. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, like, Texas, we were headlining a show at the Twilight Room. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, like, fuck. Uh, and we were so bad that the crowd turned on us, and the skinheads, and the owner had to bring out a shotgun. And he shot at the roof. Everyone get out of here. Cause, <sighs> Did you guys ever record any? Did that line up recording? That line up never recorded because our singer, we got home and he uh, got in a car accident and died right away. Oh, wow. Uh, weird car accident. Just a nice neighborhood. He just kind of turned. Turned over his truck and no one called. He was there for like two hours. So, wow. So he died. If someone would have called, the ambulance would say, okay. But we were going to kick him out anyway. So Wow, that's that a horrific story. But I guess that's why also probably that lineup never played at the right. NoFX anniversary show. Right, right. We had all the different lineups come through. But, but it was like, we went on tour, never met each other, and we were fucking terrible. What did the other bands think? Because our first tour, I sang. Yeah. So I'm like, yeah. this other guy is singing. What did, what did the other... And he didn't say a word between songs, which, you know, <laughs> yeah. unlike me. It what, was, did, what did Scared Straight and Grim think? Were they like, what are you guys doing? I don't know. It was just, it was so weird. But you know, like, Brian Walsby, the drummer Scared Straight, yeah. formed a band with a singer of subculture uh, called Double Negative. That I think you would probably fucking dig. You know? Um, That's when we were on the... On the Freeway, and we got hit by a truck. Okay. Truck yeah. driver fell asleep. And just took your... Just bashed our van. That's in 10 years of fucking up. You talk about that, right? <laughs> so, uh, when does Vassal? Vassil? Colossal Wassel Records. Colossal Wassel, that's it. A Wassel's a party of drinking. Is that is that your label? Yeah, that's my label. Okay, so, like, but that's a precursor to fat. You did the 7-inch, and the, the 12, the yeah. liberal animation. Yeah. Who was that band Drowning Roses? Oh, it's a German band. That, uh, how we got to Europe is Adolescents had a tour. Uh-huh. And this guy booked it with Drowning Roses and Adolescents canceled. And we've been calling the guy asking for a tour for like a year. And he goes, uh, I just had a tour. They canceled, so I'll give you their slot. And he'd seen us play at Gilman Street. This guy Dolph uh-huh. from Trust Magazine. And uh, he'd seen us play. And we got out there and we played our first show. And he's like... I thought you guys were a lot better. That's that's Europe, right? That's your first taste yeah, of the European yeah, but, honesty, but, I guess, right? Uh, yeah, and and he had to fight with our 
guitar player right away. <laughs> and and we were. We were terrible. And band, we did so badly that we started having Drowning Roses headline because they were better. <clears throat> it was so harsh. And Dave Pollock, who books us now, he said he was at the same show at Gilman Street. Uh-huh. Him and Belf were totally drunk and had a good time at our show. And he goes, I want to put your records out here. So we sent him our new record. Hey, so you can suck on this. Yeah. And he wrote back, he goes, I'm sorry, but I no longer want to put the record out. <laughs> I know I said I did, but then I heard it. I heard it. Now I can't. I can no longer back this band. My friend's That's band, messed up. My friend's band went to Europe the first time, and people bought their seven inches before they played. And after they were done, they were like, I want to return this. You don't have to give me your money back. I, money back. I just want to give it back to you because I don't like your band. Um, well, Mike, I, I want. I could go on forever, but I won't. I, I just we'll move on quicker. That's SNM Airlines on that single, right? The yeah. split. But that's when you, you know, I've, I've heard you say that's your first good song. Yeah. That's when you guys think. Yeah, that single, it's not a very good version, but uh, yeah, I think that's my first good song. So when you, and there was a shift there, like, and I'm, that was my first hint into that I'm into BSM. Yes, and I wanted to ask, was that, was that for, for, and also, uh, I guess PMRC can suck on this, has kind of an SM feel to the sleeve, too. It's from my magazine. Oh, yeah. So were you into SM at this point, or is it still just no, playing I, with the idea of no, using I, I did stuff with my girlfriend, but. I mean, it's, it's my sexuality. Yeah. Which people don't believe, and I don't know if they ever will, but my sexuality is just as valid as being gay. Mm-hmm. And it's just as genetic. Mm-hmm. And there's no way to ever prove that. They'll never put K for kinky in with the with the GLBT transgender. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I we look at all those cars. Stops. Uh, I used to look at my... Urban reality. Yeah. I used to look at my mom's porno magazines uh, or her boyfriend's. Yeah. You know, she had one called Cox and Cunts. You know, pretty graphic, just like people fucking. Yeah. And Penthouse and Hustler. And I just. Rabbit I didn't get a boner. Yeah. I just I didn't understand it. And I read a story in Penthouse Variations about a guy being submissive to his wife. Mm-hmm. And I got like my first full boner and the first time I jerked off. And it was like. When you're fucking 11 or 12. Nothing happened to me in my life mm-hmm. where I would where that would be a turn on for me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I was a neglected kid. I whatever. I kissed trails. There's no trigger. I wasn't. I was never punished. Yeah, nothing. Mm-hmm. But I'm more comfortable being in a submissive role sexually. You know, I like for women to fucking ravage me mm-hmm. and and bondage and all that kind of stuff. And I, it, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's, it's some nature, but it's some, it's some nurture. It's mm-hmm. a little bit of both, like everything else. Mm-hmm. Well, sexual, human sexuality is, you, you, if you could choose what you were into, I'm sure a lot of people would make different choices than yeah. what they've been given. And, right. and I think maybe now we're in an era where people are becoming a little more accepting totally. of it. Yeah, you know? and, and maybe that's why I'm so out now. Well, were you, because that's what I was going to say, were you out then? Like, were you no, I was, about I it was, or no? No, I was so scared. I was doing it. Yeah. Since I was 18, mm-hmm. I'd been, you know, doing bondage and you know whippings and uh, all, kind, all that kind of shit uh, I wouldn't date a girl if she wasn't into that mm-hmm. and you know and I have regular just you know missionary sex yeah. as well yeah but it's something different yeah and you know me I've been with Selma for six years and it's always something new like we never repeat it's always something fucking new it's crazy mm-hmm. you know she's got such an imagination and we always talk about crazy shit and and me and my ex we had a dungeon in our house you know that uh, 
My kid didn't know about because it's a secret. How do you have a, <laughs> a secret dungeon? I, I need to build a secret room for all the records I don't want I'll the kids to see. I'll tell you how. Because we bought a house that was built in 1931. Um, and there was a room for, for prohibition. Yeah. There was a secret. A rum room. Yeah, but really secret. There was yeah. a cabinet opened a small stairway, and then you have this killer, awesome room at the top of the house that no one would know was ever there. <laughs> so, yeah. The one thing I will say about S&M Airlines is there's kind of that introduction more metally leads on that stuff. Yeah. We had a guitar player that could play a little bit. The licks and stuff. And that's, that seems to be something like, did that, were you ever in conflict with them being such a punk person? Or do you no. like metal at all? Or uh, Actually, no. I like Ride the Lightning, okay? Yeah. But I just heard Kill Them All the other day. <laughs> wow, it's so terrible. It's amazing how terrible that record is. I had friends who used to play me ex- Exodus. And, uh, or in the Bay Area, too, when that stuff's happening. Yeah, and I was just like, yeah, listen, it's, it's like punk. I'm like, no, it's it's fast, but it's terrible. It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, not, not into that. So when you move up to San Francisco, you play, you know, the farm, mm-hmm. New Method Warehouse and stuff like that. Did you ever, were you like seeing Neurosis, playing with Neurosis, playing with like... Yeah, we used to play with Neurosis all the time. Yeah, playing with those bands. Violet Corrigan, which is yeah, band before that. Yeah. Did, Christ on Parade, we used to play them a lot. So was that like, how did you guys go over in that scene? Because it seems like a lot more Fair. serious. We never went over well. I mean, no, you... nobody left us anywhere. Mm-hmm. Really. <laughs> I mean, we could not draw 50 people anywhere. Could you draw better in Europe before you could draw in America? Type thing or no? No, our first European show was terrible. No one liked us. I mean, the thing is, we were really bad. We were a bad band. I mean, like, RKL is putting out Rock and Roll Nightmare, and we're putting out Liberal Nation. <laughs> you know, it's like S- SNFU, like, SNFU and RKL were the two bands that we were like, these guys are so much better than us. We'll never get that good. Bring up RKL, because that's been I really wanted to talk to you and, about. But bad, but bad Religion put out Suffering in 88. Yeah. And that was when everything changed for me. I'm like, right. Uh, duh. I grew up in L.A. This is good punk rock. Good melodic hardcore punk rock. And then I listened to that record probably a hundred times. Figured out how to do harmonies. And, and that's when you added the harmonies from Bad Religion? Is it? Yeah. Misfits have harmonies, though. But I guess they're more like... harmonies. They have woes. Woes. So you're it's right. not a harmony. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Um, so, uh, when, uh, with, um, RKL, was that a band you guys played with? Like, they were heroes too, I guess. Yeah, we I played them. And stuff, but you wouldn't play I used to roadie for them. I used to drive around. Yeah, like, why do you think they never caught on in a bigger... Well, they got huge in Europe. It's just, no, it's just, they were such fuck-ups. I mean, they're the, I think they're the only band in the world, when they were doing one of their records, uh, Bomber was a street hustler, so he used to suck hock mm-hmm. to make money to buy crack. And Jason had two girls, two prostitutes working for him. They'd wow. be on the street so he could get money for heroin. So the band had an actual prostitute and a pimp in the band while they were recording on Epitaph. And, and I, I don't think this ever happened before. No. You know, and, and Bomber was just so funny about doing that. He's like, hey, I'll see you guys later. I'm going to suck a few cops, make some money. And it, he was so open about it. It was fucking hysterical. Wow. He, was, he was the first guy to come in our scene that came out. Yeah. And and and, and and then his boyfriend won the fifty million dollar lottery, and, Whoa. and uh, bought him a house, a condo on the beach. Doing good, but doing he, good. He had a crystal meth problem. The doctor said he had a small heart attack. If you do crystal meth again, you'll probably die. And six months later, he tried it again. And he died. Wow. He was Bonner was the biggest musical genius I've ever met. Absolutely fucking genius. Do you still think they were probably the greatest band to kind of come out of the nardcore kind of? Oh yeah. 
we, no effects would be here if it wasn't for them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but you, you, you can't live like, like they did. You know, just, they would always bring acid to Europe to sell. They put a, they put stickers on their amps and there'd be a sheet of acid under the stickers. And, and, you know, they're all, they're all junkies and, uh, just crazy. The guys were that crazy and they were that good. Mm-hmm. Well, another band that had insane, terrible stuff kind of come out of their legacy is Fang. And a band that dealt with acid, I guess. I played in Fang. You were in Fang? I was a 32nd bass player. 32nd member in Fang. I, t- I played one party with them in Philly. Like, early on. Joe was getting a tattoo. So, like, my, <laughs> so you had to go? Yeah. No, we were, just, we were hanging out. We used to do shows with them all the time. Yeah. And they go, Mike, can you just fill in tonight? I'm like, all right, I'll try. Because there's that story in Gimme Something Better where you talk about running into him at a party after he gets out of jail and being like, I can't be your friend. <laughs> it's like, I'm, a, I'm an yeah, asshole. Yeah, I go, I'm not, I can't talk to you. I'm yeah. an asshole for life because I killed my girlfriend. I was like, well, yeah. So do you think in punk rock, like, what do you think brought all these troubled people? Obviously, broken home situations, various things, but like, then there are people like yourself and, and you know, not saying that you don't still party, but have a good time, but you, you figured a way to kind of do it. Well, I didn't try drugs till I was 20, 32. Probably at what? And, you know, I went to college, never did school, always did well. And I, I was a responsible guy. You know, all the guys in FX, potheads doing acid, and somebody was a junkie for six years. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for me, we would have broken up for sure. I was I held everything together. And just, it needed to be that way. And then you got... When you at 32, you felt like you kind of surrender some of that, I guess? Well, I'm like, me and my ex were like, hmm, well, we're, we're, we're millionaires now. Uh, everything's going really well. Why don't we try drugs? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's and that's what we're going to tell our kids. Yeah. Like, don't do drugs until, especially, you know, your brain develops until you're 28. And I didn't know that at the time. But my mom always said, you're, you're too smart, Michael. Don't do drugs. Mm-hmm. As she's fucking smoking joints. You shouldn't do drugs. I didn't. So you I mean, never, never got into weed even? Or not well, at all? I tried weed like when I was 21, but I don't really consider that a drug. Yeah. doing drugs because yeah. I didn't like it. And uh, I did ask once, but yeah, that's like kind of experimenting. I did it once. It was great. I actually started using drugs regularly when I was 32. Did but you- when I tried Coke 32, I tried ecstasy at 34. That, that, that's late. That is late. Well, then I still have time. Actually, I'm past those dates now, so I can't get into it. But um, were you, did you ever have, because I guess you never had guilt, punk rock guilt stuff, because you've always been, at least from the outside, what I've read, kind of okay with success and finding success in punk rock. Well, as yeah. Long as you do it ethically. Well, yeah, I, I haven't, you know, any band on Fat Records, any, any band, any person, no one will say they got fucked up. They got mm-hmm. fucked over. No one. That's true. It's like the only Because you can't, you can't. You can't fuck over one person ever because then you have a reputation. You ruin all the fucking good things you've done. So that's why, you know, I never lie and I never, uh, I'm really honest and wouldn't fuck anybody over. I've lost tons of money on bands. Even I could, you know, legally, I could make my money back or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I don't want anyone talking shit about me. Is that what it's kind of like you think in punk rock, it's ultimately your reputation is what... Yeah, my reputation means everything to me. <clears throat> and, and and what's funny is that I'm not such an asshole in, in circles because uh, I, I think I'm successful and happy. Mm-hmm. And punk don't like that. Well, there's also, 
you also have a very different sort of interaction with fans sometimes. I don't think so. It's the like, amount of Mexican kids that wanted to punch you in the face. Yeah, I, I never met them before. I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's like from maybe not many people that know you necessarily, but I'm saying like from the outside. No, I mean, you can you can be a, uh, a capitalist and make money without fucking anybody over. But there's just so many people that aren't like that. <laughs> you, but that, that's why bands keep coming back to us. Face to face are coming back. You know, Lesson Jake came back. Yeah. Uh, Lots of bands come back because they're like, when Vin- uh, you're the only label that we ever made any money on. Actually, Mike, funny you bring up Lesson Jake. When Vinny was on this podcast, he told me that he actually tried to get on Fat Records before. Yeah. And he got a form rejection letter back saying, don't ever call us again. No, no it, doesn't, it never said don't ever call us again. He said, there's a box that he said, that, um, this is from him, episode 30. Yeah, well, tell him to show it. Oh, yeah. Okay. I never listen to all those things anyway. <laughs> no, no. Okay. I, figured- I only listen to bands when someone I know says, listen to this band. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, speaking of listening to the band, did you pick the the bands on the label? Like, did you know the sound that you wanted these bands to have? I picked every band. Every band. And, like... But, like, a few bands, like, Against Me, I hadn't heard. Someone brought them to me. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, oh, I love this. But no one signed a band. <laughs> did you get the Fat Records package that fucked up sent? Like, back one day, I didn't tell you to listen to it. Yeah. Fucking Floyd. Fucking Floyd. You may have given it to me. <laughs> I want to sign you guys any of your songs that you want. This is back when you liked us, Mike, when we were supposed to do a split together. Remember that? South by Southwest? Yeah, why, did, why are your songs so fucking long? Well, because there was a little record called The Fucking Decline, and it happened to change all of our lives when it came yeah, out. Yeah, but I, in the late 90s. All the parts are interesting. Well, ours, uh, let me tell you. Hey, I'm doing I, okay I like by your, it. I like your band. Doing okay I like your band. <laughs> I mean, cool songs, but, but I like, I like you know, well, two and a half minutes is how long a song should well, be. Well, then let's jump ahead did to you see that symphony thing? Uh, the Decline Symphony? No, I haven't seen that. You haven't seen that? No. Have you seen that? Doing... It makes me cry every time. Well, that... Per- a 50-piece French orchestra did decline. It took me six months to figure it out. It's fucking amazing. That's incredible. Well, because that, I will say... I didn't even know about it. Can you YouTube it? Yeah. Right now, we'll pause. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no. We can... Well, after we're going to do it. Uh, but we'll wrap up soon. I promise. Oh, no, no, no. I just... I, I just, you know, spending as much time away from my clothes as possible. Okay. I'm in my club. Okay. <laughs> well, I promise we'll wrap up. It still does. The nerdity will will be uh, over soon. I yeah, but I saw this thing. Some guy says you should check this out, and it's amazing. And I was I was so sad because I wish my mom or any of my parents were around to see it. Because mm-hmm. how many bands have fucking a fifty piece orchestra done one of your songs? Well, I was, Without money, we didn't hire anybody, and it took them six months. That decline, if that was in any other genre of music, that would be heralded as uh, like an achievement of modern music, I think. It's just because yeah. it was in punk rock that it wasn't yeah. regarded that's why the same I, That's way. why I've been you know, so working on this musical so hard, because I'm not regarded by anyone outside of punk rock. Mm-hmm. But but I think you will be. You know, I, I will think, be after I, this. Though. I think it's like one of those things where, but it's also like, you know, when people go back and like, and cut to what no effects was and it's like this incredible catalog of awesome songs that are you know this song decline pushes that to the most extreme point and where did the idea for that come from well just going cradle to the grave of the subhumans that was i always thought that was great yeah and i just wanted to do something like that and it was a lot of parts that i had left over i went through my all my old tapes oh this is cool i never made this into a song so i started to put them together and I just obsessed and I just tried to make it better and better and better and better. Even when it was done, it was about to get pressed. And I said, stop the presses. 
I need to put in this keyboard part at the end. You know, that da 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 And yeah. I made the ending more interesting. And the bell and the, 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 the manager at Fat Records yelled at me. Yeah. Really? Because yeah. he was like, it's not punk? Or? He's like, it's coming out. It's going to fuck up everything. I'm like, <laughs> dude, this is my art. It's like, I just thought of a cool part that's not in there. Yeah. And after he yelled at me, I said, come to my office for a second, dude. <laughs> I'm like, if I ever yelled at you, you just yelled at me in front of everyone. <laughs> what, why would you yell at me? You know? And looking back on it, you were kind of valid. That's a great part in that song. It's yeah, the ending is still, important. Yeah. It's good that you brought that in. Was that like you played it live a bunch of times, I guess? Like I've seen you do it in New Mexico. saw you do it in Toronto oh, yeah. one time yeah. and stuff. Um, pardon? It's fine. It's an amazing song. Uh, Why did you never want to do any other long songs? Is it because you don't think, because you've done one I long do. song? Yeah. I like two minute songs. And then, well, what about 30 second songs like the Fuck the Kids 7 inch? Yeah. Well, that was, you know, that was, it was. It's true. I just uh, I taught the band and we recorded that whole thing in one day. Kind of came up with the lyrics on the fly, and it's cool. And there's and there's a bit of CanCon on there. There's a Neo's cover. A Neo's cover. A Neo's cover, which isn't on the CD reissue. Well, yeah, there's three sh- shifts to the wind. That's true. But why? Why? So Neo's were a big band for you as a. Kid? I love the Neo's. Was it? Did you ever? They guess didn't make it to. No, they made it to California. Yeah, but that was just a crazy album. Yeah. And uh, it's it's crazy how many how big the Victoria Punk scene was. How many bands came out of there? Well, just the West Coast of Canada in general. And it's funny because like there's no fucking beyond possession. Man, we finally made it up to Vancouver in '85, and they went let's bring our equipment over. So we lugged it to some apartment, made it over, made it to the show. Can we get, use your guys' equipment? Nope. Beyond possession. Yeah. So we didn't get to play. That's funny because they were took they the Melvins. not let us fucking borrow their shit. They took the Melvins on their first tour. And so it all comes back to this. I guess it's like historical beef. <laughs> I just, it's so weird. When bands do that? Wait, you want to let us use your fucking amps? Yeah. It's what? weird. It is weird when bands do that. And also when bands get really worked up when you ask them to use their amp and they're like acting like you're asking for a kidney or. No, DRI uh, was like our 10th show and we had a, uh, our drummer forgot his hi hat and he asked Felix. It was Felix's first show in DRI was in 84. Before dealing with it. Yeah. And we asked him, can we please borrow your hi-hat? Because we have no hi-hat. He's like, nope. Fuck. <laughs> so it's hard playing with that hi-hat. <laughs> He's using the cabinet. <laughs> for short music, for short people, did that idea at all come from the Blair comps? No. No? Because Spaz is on that too, right? You know the Blair comp, the Spaz comps. Yeah. They do no, I just, it's such fun. We always had short songs. Well, Mike, I could go on for hours more, but I want to let you get on with your night. And okay, nice interview. Dude, this has been awesome. And want to do part two one day? A couple sure. years from now? Yeah. Do part two. I like I love interviews where people know what they're talking about. Well, I love we didn't even get into some of the stuff I wanted to get into, but we can say that for another day. Daryl, thank you so much for this. Oh, you're very well. Daryl, I'm gonna put this on, you guys can check it out for a second.